0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is it, the big one, the 2023 AFL Grand Final. Collingwood taking on Brisbane, 2.30 Saturday afternoon at the MCG. Can't wait, should be a cracking contest. Uh, Top two teams on the ladder playing off in the Grand Final. That hasn't happened since 2014. As uh, I say, big hello to my footyology podcast co-host, Mr. Rodney Eid G'day, Rocket. Is this uh, the matchup that gives us the
1: best chance of the best grand final? You think? Hi, Roland. Uh Yeah, I think so. I think they've been they've been the best two team teams and they proved themselves the best two teams last week's game uh, with a giant show. They're not far off, and uh, maybe scary next year for obviously two teams with the youngsters they have that they are going to improve. But I think overall, these two teams have proved themselves the best team.
0: I think I, I've got a feeling too, it might give us the most entertaining game. Um, I know you're a coach, so you don't care about entertainment, but it's sort of yes, <laughs> <too>. <laughs> do you agree with that premise? Because I think they're both, they can both be scored against and they're both capable of really attacking, you know, potent football. So I just think it might be an enter- uh, you know, an entertaining grand final. Yeah, yeah, certainly
1: could be. I think, um, now certainly both can score. I mean, you know, a talented forward line that uh, the Lions have, um, and the style of play that Collingwood uh, did from a back half like to play zero for They both defend really well as a system, as a team. Some probably the Lions defend more with ball in hand. At times they might play a kick mark game, so that'll stop the Collingwood. So that turnover game, so that having a turnover will allow in Collingwood. So that's that's the only ride we'll have on Peter an entertaining game, to the Lions will go in to try and win it. They're not there to entertain, but they may at times take some time off the clock and maybe start the pies.
0: Interesting. Well, let's not give away our best stuff in the intro because we have a massive in-depth preview of this grand final to come. Uh, we've also got reviews of the seasons of the two sides beaten in the preliminary finals last weekend and plenty of news around besides that jam-packed show. Let's get stuck in. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, well, let's kick off our news segment with a a bit of a look at Monday night's Brownlow medal. Of course, Lockie Neal has won his second Brownlow. Um, One of 12 players now to have won two Brownlow medals, and another four players have won three Brownlow medals. Of course, that's Hayden Bunton, Dick Reynolds, Bob Skilton, Ian Stewart. Uh, interesting too. A uh, bit of a recent trend towards this in the last twenty years. Have now been four uh, players who've won two medals. Uh, Adam Goods, sorry, five. Adam Goods, uh, Chris Judd, Gary Ablett, Nat Fife, and Neil becoming the fifth. Uh, he won with thirty-one votes. Marcus Bonton Pelly, the bridesmaid yet again, twenty-nine votes. Nick Dakos, twenty-eight votes. Errol Gould and Zach Butters, 27 votes. Christian Petrarca, 26 votes. So a uh, bit to unpack here, but I'll just get initially your thoughts on Lockie Neal. Uh, a few eyebrows raised, Rocket, but how do you see his victory? Yeah, yeah,
1: there was certainly a, a few eyebrows raised about it. But uh, I think because in the modern day, there's so much scrutiny that we're going to uh, pharingly look at every game and every vote and uh and you feel for the umpires more than anything, um, but I think you now I think he had a good season, uh, Neil. Um, I don't think he was probably had his best season. But having said that, he did he did played really well. There's you know swings and roundabouts. There's games that he's probably missed votes and he probably thought he should have. I think that round six game, I think against GWS, is one that's been highlighted. I think having the aftermath really more than anything is just how we can assist the umpires. How can we assist them to make Uh, get their decisions right. I know some umpires don't want a lot of stats or early in the piece because they don't want to be governed by the stats, which is a good point. But they probably do need some stats at some stage, whether they can pick their best six players and see if there's an outlier. Like I reckon the game for me is the Jason Holland Francis getting three votes for 13 possessions. Like they're going to do that and they look at the stats and say, oh gee, I think we've got that wrong. That's okay. That's fine. But I think if we can assist them in any way that they feel that they need to be assisted to make a... Uh, a more measured decision, uh, but I think basically most of them, they get it right. Um, I think they do a reasonable job, of it. but there's always been outliers of one Browns in the past, hasn't it?
0: Well, of course there has, and not not. I don't know why I thought of this when you mentioned Jason or Francis, but Robert Klopp getting the uh, Panasonic TV for <laughs> yeah, eight, t- eight touches in a night game back in the day. But it's true, isn't it? And, and younger listeners here might not sort of appreciate this as much as old farts like us, but there's always been, yeah. I mean, yeah. One of the biggest surprise ones I remember. Well, Shamo O'Woden was a fairly big surprise, but uh, Tony Liberatore in 1990 that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Brian Wilson 1982. I'm not sure he was one of the 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 leading fancies. Um yeah. So you know, it, it, it's maybe people are sort of expecting too much of it. Yeah. Um, and it it does seem to have taken on this huge sort of um, uh, what's the word, aura, you know, that sort of it almost exceeds where it stands, and of course, it's an important award, yeah. But I look, think
1: it, I think it's grown in status, hasn't it? As, yeah, yeah, that's as, what the, getting as, as the game has grown more, uh, visible, if that's yeah. possible, and more script has become bigger, it's become a bigger beast, yeah.
0: Well, well also, it, 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 to me, which sort of underlines how much more stock people put and younger supporters now put on individuals rather than teams. You know, that whole phenomenon about younger people barracking for players rather than teams. I think you see, you're see you seeing a bit more of that. Maybe to our generations, you know, the individual success isn't quite as high on the pecking order as it is now. Yeah, and I know there's
1: probably just a side point, point. it may not be a big issue, but I think more gambling. There's more gambling on... Yeah. Boutique betting and sort of the brown low is going to be on per game and who gets the most votes and all that sort of thing. So there's a lot more scrutiny on each individual outcome of a game um, yeah. and each vote. And um, I think that adds to it. So if we can make the job easier for the umpires or assist umpires, um, I, 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 because they've got a tough job. I mean, they, because we scrutinise every decision making a game and they get criticised so much. How, how can we assist them? Um, and they are going to think about who the best player is until they get into the Reds' life for the game. So if they've got some assistance, it's going to make their job a little bit easier.
0: No, I, I agree with that. It's interesting, though, because here's a couple of competing stats on that point. So uh, like everyone, I, I put a lot of stock in the Coaches Association Award, and they um, have five players they award uh, 15 votes each to, so there's a total of 30 votes. Usually divided between about seven, six, seven, eight players in a yeah. game. There were 17 games this year where the player that got the three Brownlow votes didn't receive a single vote from either coach. And I look at that and I think, geez, that's that's not good. Um and I I, I was I tweeted something about that and I thought, yeah, that's not a good reflection on the middle. But then someone else in response, and apologies, I can't remember who it was but pointed out to me, and I think this is a really good point, that the top six in the Brownlow count ended up being the same six players as were the leading six votes getters in the Coaches Association Awards. So in the Coaches Award, the winner was Zach Butters, second was Bontempele, third was Dagos, fourth Petrarca, fifth Lockie Neal, and sixth, Errol Goulden. So the same top six. So for all that not looking at the stats, the, the umpires have ended up arriving at the same best six players of the season as did the coaches. So that's a bit of a vindication
1: of them, I would have thought. Oh, for sure. I, I, I don't think we changed the system. I think it's been invented for too long. But the game has grown in its stature. There's a lot more riding up. There's a lot more money. So there's a lot more scrutiny. So uh, the umpires get it right most of the time. It's, and it's the same with their decisions on match day. They get most of the decisions right. Mm. but we're going to scrutinise one element or one, one action. So I think if we can assist them in some way to minimise the criticism of them, I, I think it's a good thing.
0: I just quickly off the top of the head too, what do you think about the mark of the year and the goal of the
1: year? year? Uh, I thought the mark of the year was okay, but he got shunted off the stage by Rebecca Madden. He got pushed to the back, didn't he? He got pushed away like a you know, usual warden, see you later. I thought it was very disappointing in that. Uh, goal of the year, I think, yeah, was about right. There were some good goals. There was, no, those three goals were really good goals. So, any one of those ones could win it. But I, I thought Himmelberg, um, yeah, certainly deserved the mark.
0: I thought right player, wrong mark. I thought his yeah, mark right. against Hawthorne yeah, other, was yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah and
0: and right. and I probably, to be honest, and I know, maybe they should read circumstances into it. I thought the Dan Houston one, given yes. the circumstances, oh
1: yeah, that was was, that was probably the best. Goal. Yeah, that was Marvel Skull.
0: If you want to know about circumstances, talk to my son about that because he and I were sitting in the the crowd that night and uh one of the best dummy spits I've ever seen. <laughs> just, did you
1: gamble
0: on it as well? No, no, it's just like you know first, just, just, first, just
1: emotional first, supporter.
0: First time he'd seen his side get nutted after the siren, whereas I'm an old hand at the caper rocket. In <laughs> fact, I'm oh one of the times I suffered was you were coaching the other side in the preliminary
1: final. Oh, never forget that one. Oh, the other one too, the second semi of eighty four. Kicked
0: after the siren. Oh, but you guys had already won that one. And I, I I was a bit more sanguine about that one because I knew what was going to happen two weeks later when the table Oh burned.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> after, thanks to you bring nineteen eighty four up for once <laughs> rather than me. Anyway, let's move on. Um there's another important story which given the time probably hasn't received the airtime it deserves, but the decision of the AFL to hand draft assistance to North Melbourne. So North will be getting an additional first-round selection uh, this year and two more end-of-first-round selections next year on top of two additional rookie list spots. Uh, we've talked about this before, but gee, gee, it's pretty generous Um assistance I would have thought how do you how do you uh,
1: yeah I suppose the inter first round this year if it whether you, you take it this way but Gold Coast if they have their three players before that Jordan Croft and McCabe it, it could go out to pick 25 or 26. I reckon the real advantage they have that they can trade next year's um into first rounders this year as future picks And that's what they'll do. Because if North improved, that's going to blow out even further. So I reckon that, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I saw Chris Scott and and I think there's an argument on both sides. I think they've dug a hole for themselves, as Ross Lyon said. You've got to dig themselves out. But is it bad for the competition? You're just going to have seller dwellers consistently. I don't think the package is too uh, generous, but it's bordering on, if that's the right phrase. Yeah. but we've got the thing is Geelong of, of father son That's compromises the draft. Uh, Academy picks comprises, can compromises the draft. So we've got all these mechanisms at the moment. Do you want to just take them all out? Uh, and so um, I think maybe the AFL have done the right thing. Uh, whether it's too generous, that's another debate. Well, I, I I'm
0: sort of on the bandwagon of what you just said. Then, like, forget is it too generous or not? I'm just tired of so many different impositions on the draft, which it sort of defeats the purpose of having a draft. So you you set up a an assistance scheme in reverse later order, but then there's this and, the, you know, father-sons, uh, academy, this, and they've added so many different things to it that it sort of negates the whole fundamental thing of the draft in the first place. I haven't articulated that very well. No, but, no. but
1: but even a you know, point of um, the free agency, like, Buddy Frank on going, because Hawthorne finished top. They get picked eighteen or nineteen, but North Melbourne, and you can manipulate that. So they'll just get Essendon or whatever to uh, pay a bit more. And then it's the thing about Secure and Essendon, may be able to manufacture something through the through the draft. There's a loophole. So there's all these, not only the mechanism, but there's loopholes within the within those mechanisms as well. The clubs are smart enough to actually manipulate. So I think they're, they just got to be careful. I think you're right, not introducing too many mechanisms because it becomes too wide. Um, there's too many loopholes and, and the system and actually fall down. So
0: and, and yeah. I well, and well the other my other point on it is I don't like the arbitrary nature of this either. I mean at least those other things are mechanisms and there's a way yes. of measuring them. Whether this one, it's sort of like you know what it reminds me of. It's like the um you know the the bloke the guy fighting the lions or the chariot the chariot guys in the Roman Colosseum, and then they they go to the emperor and the emperor goes thumbs up or thumbs down. You know, yeah. like it's sort of totally at the benevolence of the AFL and that that gives them a power over clubs' capacities to rise up a ladder that they don't deserve. Like it, 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 Fundamentally, it's a it's a compromise of the integrity of the competition. Incidentally, you mentioned Chris Scott and Ross Lyons, so for people that missed that, they were quite critical on um, Fox footy of the decision. Although I noted Chris Scott said, he said, how many finals have the Saints played in the last 10 years? One. How many have North played in? Eight. Well, both those numbers, from my count, are wrong. St Kilda actually has played in three finals because they played in two in 2020. Uh, And North, by my count, in the last 10 seasons, have played in seven finals, not eight. So um, not often Chris has his numbers wrong, but I think they were wrong in that case. Uh, The point remains, I I guess, I, I just think we've got a much more even competition and sides are more capable of improving under their own steam. And the other point, both those guys did make, which was right, is the impact of this stuff you don't see properly for about five years. So who knows that North, without this stuff, in two or three years, with Sheasel, Wardlaw, Davies, Zuniak etc., I wouldn't be absolutely flying.
1: No, for sure. No, there's no doubt about that. And, um, but that's probably... I, I don't mind them getting some assistance. I think the debate for me is, is it too much? And that's that's the grey. It's interesting pointing back. Chris Scott. He said, "Oh well, they're the ones that have decided to clean out and go back." But that's when his brother moved on because his brother didn't want to do that. So <laughs> it was more about saying, "Well, you know, you got rid of Brad, uh, but you decided to actually go back to the draft and uh, and actually rebuild." It. And it hasn't worked. So um, I, I thought that was that was quite a cheeky little nip, nip at it.
0: Oh, rocket! They're twins, of course <laughs> twins are going to stick up for each other. What do you expect? <laughs> At least we can tell them apart now because one's got a beard and one hasn't. <laughs> um, all right. Now, well, it's an interesting uh, point of debate and very contentious. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. But I'll tell you what, if North are up at the top of the ladder and killing everyone in about five years' time, I think we're going to revisit and go, whoops.
1: <laughs> yeah, went too far. Overcorrection. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, another thing we need to talk about... Uh, a few days ago now but after we last recorded and that is the appointment of Adam Uze as Richmond Senior Coach and uh, been a long time coming for the Ooze. He uh, admitted the other day he started to second guess himself after being runner-up in multiple coaching races. Uh, Let's see, just missed out at Essendon last year, just missed out at GWS uh, where Adam Kingsley uh, and by the way, sorry, there's another thing we need to mention. Adam Kingsley officially coach of the year this year. Well done to him. Um, Urze also beaten to the punch for the Adelaide job by Matthew Nix in 2019. So uh, I guess most people would say you keep banging on the door in terms of appointments and whatever. uh, Occasionally, uh, well, hopefully your time will come and his time has actually come. Uh, Are you... How do you see Adam Uzzi? Are you pleased for him? What do you know about him from your coaching peers? What sort of coach are we going to get?
1: Um, yeah, I've only heard positive reports. I I, I don't know Adam at all. I, mean, I think it's great. From, I think what I was really pleased with, and a couple of would-be coaches have asked my opinion along the way about going for a certain job, knowing that it's probably going to end another way, and I said the more you put yourself up, and, and there's probably a cut off point, you know want to do 10 times and you do know, get a job. But I think the positive feedback that comes out of those interviews stands in good stead for other clubs. And I think Israel, um obviously interviewed well for the previous two jobs, in and GWS. That has got around in full circles. Richmond knew about that. Um, so they wanted to interview him and then he's 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 uh, nailed it, obviously. Blown them off the, off the park, out of the park, so... I think it's very good. I think he's going to be in a, a sort of an interesting um, uh, comment where he says based on the contest and defence, which is going to be Simon good as Melbourne. Now they haven't got the talent. So the gameplay's going to change. It's going, to me, it's going to be a more defensive game um, and built on trying to create uh, errors in the opposition, trying to get turned over. And whether they go as quick as what the old Richmond did, I don't know. Um you look at Melbourne; that won't be the case. Melbourne a bit more methodical, coming out of the back half. So, I uh, it'd be interesting to say He's not going to have the talent. Um, he's saying the things that you now we want to push for the eight, et cetera, et cetera, which is right. But I, I think he's got a tough job ahead. I think it's going to be uh, a few years of a bit of pain um, while they get some talent in, and then they try and bounce back.
0: It's sort of. I keep thinking with Richmond, they're, they're a bit betwixt and between, aren't they? Because I mean, they've still got Dusty Martin, who's still a great player. Still got some of the, you know, is still a pretty good player when he's on the park. You know, Toronto has been a great pickup, so they're not devoid of talent. But no. we, it's obvious now they don't have enough to push for a flag. So, how does a, a particularly new coach? How does he handle that? Does he try to? Build on that, or do they instead? You know, does he, for example, in his first year, does he throw games to kids because it's a longer-term project, or does he think, yeah, we're still we can still crack a final eight spot and win a final? Maybe how how does he approach it that in that sense?
1: I think that'll be that. Uh, Space decision will be in context uh, or in collaboration with Brendan Gale on the board about where they think they're at um, and where they want to. Her- aim for and what their long-term goal is. I would think he's got to throw a game to our kids. He's got to put them in without compromising results um, because supporters want to see results. Supporters generally only look at the WL columns. Don't they? they don't really look at the, the future as such. Uh, but he has got to get some talent in um, and he's got to develop. So I would think his first two years has got to be development as much as possible. Develop your own. Uh, he's got three years. Then the third year is really the one that we can see that and they can start having up upward curve. Because I, I fear that if he pushes for the eight like Hardwick did this year to push for the premiership. And you don't get there. And then the next year's the hard year we drop off. I reckon let's 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 drop a few spots now and then we can then we can go on.
0: Interesting. You talked about putting yourself in the mix for jobs too. And I, I think once upon a time, if you kept missing out on jobs, there was sort of like this, what's wrong with him? feeling. I think perhaps people are a bit more adult about that now, and they realize that Uze was close to getting three decent jobs. So he must have been impressive. The other thing interesting with him is he maintains his Twitter or X account, which barely has tweeted apart from three tweets after those job interviews saying, oh, thanks to Adelaide for the opportunity. Good luck to Matthew Nix. And then the next one's Three years later, thanks to the opportunity. That's like Ross Lyon. Ross Lyon started a Twitter account and said, uh, you know, watch this space or whatever. And we sat there and watched. And 10 years later, he hadn't tweeted <laughs> anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, Adam is a good uh, congratulations, Adam, and uh, good to see him break through. And uh, we'll uh, await uh, his start at Richmond and see how they go next year with interest. All right, that's the news done. We've got a couple of seasons to review now. Let's do that. All right, let's review Greater Western Sydney, whose official finish position for this year was fourth. 15 wins, 11 losses, 107 their percentage. Uh, Points for, they ranked eighth. Points against, they ranked 10th. But uh, boy, did they come home with a wet sail. And congratulations to you, Rocket, because you were right on this mob from the start of the year, whereas me and 99% of the football world were very sceptical. I think most of the rest of us thought they would be bottom four. In fact, they were bottom four after round 12, but seven wins in their last nine games and then knocked over St Kilda and Port Adelaide in finals and lost a preliminary by a point. So... Uh, GWS, uh, in, in the lingo of the old uh pop music charts, you'd have a bullet against their name for next year. Consistently competitive, too. I uh, lost 11 games, but only two losses by more than 21 points. So, look, you, you pumped them up all year. Let's hear your take on their season.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly pumped them up. I didn't think they'd finish top four, um, at the end of the season. Um, but I thought they had a lot of upside. I thought they still had a a cool base of really talented top end players. Um, I knew a little bit. That some kids would jump up Callahan and a few others. I thought uh, I didn't expect um, Hogan to be as good as he was. Um, Immelberg proved a good player down back. That was the right move. But where I was most positive about them, I, I thought Kingsley would introduce a more attacking game, more attacking, uh, offensive uh, forward momentum game which I did. It probably cost them a little bit early because once, once on turnover, they didn't defend that really well. A couple of bad mistakes in games, they should have probably won. But by the end of the season, um, that that was rectified. Uh, they were able to defend turnover a bit more. And that final against Scotland, they defended exceptionally well. Unfortunately, they just couldn't take their chances when they went forward. Made a couple of bad mistakes in that third quarter. I think it was a locking-ash kick. They were 12 points up. Went Went straight to Collingwood play out. Went back in McStay, stay, got a goal, and then Callum Brown probably like his time again on the wing. Ball kicked over the top, mm. and running onto it, and just took his body off the line just a little bit. Collingwood player, went up, and they got a goal, and they were back in front. So they were back. That was the game really. Then and you know yeah, big pivotal moments? pivotal moment, wasn't it? Yeah. That one. Yeah, that, yeah. For those two big moments, uh, but I think there's a, a big upside. You know, that Green's a great leader. Tom Green's going to get better. Uh, Kelly is obviously true, right canelio had a resurgence, um, he was probably flaring a little bit last year, but he's uh, their their defence is good, one-on-one is a really good defence, um, they get a bit more, they've got Ash, uh, they've got Whitfield, if they get another one as well, one of those other players that are as, as as lockdowns can be a bit more attacking at the same time. Briggs is a good player for them. Uh, up forward is going to be the one, Lloyd's retired. Daniels and Bedford. Bedford didn't have a great final series, um, but uh, Hogan was the one that's jumped up. Riccardi was disappointing that last game. I think that's the area for me. Hopefully, Cadman can improve for them. Once he get a bit of size and he's got some talent. is the one for me that has got a big question mark. Hogan has just got over that hump a bit, but that to me is their area of concern is being able to have players that can stand up in big moments but their ball movement and style of play counteracts it because they're giving a forward year old opportunity.
0: I feel like um, one of the good indicators, A, of how well they were coached, but B, their scope for improvement are the stats. Now, as you know, I put a lot of stock this year in the champion data premiership standards table, and there's 32 key statistics that everyone is ranked in. And what's really notable about GWS for a top four side is I don't think they were top six. They were top six in virtually none of those categories. They're sort of mid table in all those, just about all those categories. And like points for their eighth, points against their tenth. So despite, you know, sort of mediocre rankings in all the allegedly important stats, they finished fourth. So they improve some of those sort of fundamentals just incrementally. They could be that much better again, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, I think that those stats. Over the whole season, I think if you take it from when they were fifteenth or whatever it was at round twelve, if you take it round twelve and then the last twelve rounds, I think they're in the top three or four. For, yeah, right. For those stats, it's really, it's really a noticeable jump. Yeah. Um, I think, if, and and I think probably back to your point, they they were in a lot of games, that are competitive. They showed a lot of character. They just couldn't get the job done at times. They lost a, quite a few games by under ten points. Um, uh, so I think they are so I think. You know, for me, the big improvement was A, individuals, but B, their game style and C, defensively, by the second half of the season. They can keep that momentum going add certain players are in a hole at certain times. They've had a really good history of taking players from other clubs that were not, not wanted and be able to be role players, um, but they're certainly developing from within those top line players have still got a lot to offer. They're still not. I can not see anyone that's really hitting the wall at this stage, so... Um, I, I can only see them improving,
0: and and did just on those good players too. Gee, you know the midfield, for example, Tom Green, Josh Kelly, Stephen Cornelio, Callum Ward. I mean, Callum Ward, you know, even Callum Ward's playing pretty good footy. So they're they're really getting great performances from, and Toby. We haven't mentioned Toby Green, all Australian captain. They're getting the very best out of their very best, aren't they?
1: They are, um, and I think it was noticeable too. They were able to make. Uh, changes to roles of players or changes to their game plan and uh, identify that. Like they started Kyle Waters, that high forward who would go into stoppages and have what we call the fifth or sixth go up and players of four players next extra midfield. And he didn't really shine in that role. They put him back in the midfield and his second half of the season was was fantastic. And his final series was really, really good. He's such a good character and he's he's got it for a guy his age, he's got a good sidestep. He's tough as we know. And he's just a good mix with the rest of the midfielders they've got there. So they're starting to get a really good mix here. They'll introduce Callahan a little bit off the wing into the midfield. They will I can see um his MO here that he'll start to get more of these younger players, more game time in certain spots. So therefore, uh that when they do drop off, these other players they'll have players to replace them. So yeah, I think the future looks bright for them.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Great season for the Giants and a great debut season for the official coach of the year, Adam Kingsley. Well done, Adam. I wonder if he celebrated that win by banging out uh, the new Metallica album when he got home because he loves his heavy metal <laughs> That's always going to be his biggest asset in, in, my, in my book. All right, that's the Giants. Uh, let's talk about the other team that had their season finished last weekend. That, of course, was the Carlton Football Club and what a revival. They finished third the Blues in the end. 15 wins, 10 losses, and a draw. 113%. Points for, they ranked ninth. Points against, or fewest points against, they rated fourth. Well, what an incredible turnaround. 15th on the ladder after 15 rounds, and uh, they just turned it around. It was amazing, amazing revival, and uh, almost took them to a grand final spot. And look, yeah, they uh, gave Brisbane some think music in the preliminary final by getting out to that five goal lead. In the end, I think talent and fitness and form probably prevailed. But uh uh well hats off to Michael Woss and the Blues. They really dragged it around when uh well there was talk of imminent civil war and Bossey <laughs> getting the chop and whatever. Uh different pretty different scenario now to uh, June, Rocket.
1: Yeah, it was. And again, that's they didn't Oh, it didn't seem to panic, but they just had some alterations to their game plan, uh, which is the main one for me, because they played a very staid, boring game, uh, defended with ball in hand, uh, no forward momentum, gone sideways backwards. Then all of a sudden it changed. They got back to their MO as uh, the contested ball, which has been being a strength. They'd lost that a little bit, focused on that and focused on forward momentum, give their forward got Garcuno a chance, and their small forwards, and they're able to Win the close games as well. Last year they lost those, so they've obviously done some homework there. So full credit to them. I still think they've got some issues with their with their list or their team. If they're going to make this, people are up red Redwell, there's no reason why they can't finish top four again and give themselves a chance for a grand final next year. I I've still got some some concern. They, um, they need support for Kurnow. kerno needs to. He had three bad finals. He didn't do anything really. Uh, Mackay was maybe kick kickstart. So Mackay would have been a far better player than Kuno. Uh, the smalls don't do enough um, in the forward line. And generally overall, except for Walsh and maybe Saar, they don't have a lot of run through the lines, a lot of run and carry, and they're not a quick side. Cripp um, struggled in that final as well, even, uh, even though he's been a really good player. So they need to add some speed, I think, uh, to actually go the next step. Uh, I think De Koning's jumped up, he'll be a boner for Uh Picknick was good support we they'll they probably need some support for him down back as well. So you know they've got two or three spots they'll need to, but they've got salary cap issues. They probably need to, some players to move on to actually actually relieve some pressure. So how they're going to get those players? Only time will tell. Them.
0: I thought De Koning really emerged towards the back end of the year. I thought the other guy not as obvious, but I thought Holland's really shows some promise too. He's Got decent pace, and yeah, he's certainly something they can. A bit of a future around um, right. the Mackay one's interesting, isn't it? Because there was that theory that him being injured actually ended up helping because it gave Kerno had more space and he became the target. But then Kerno's had an ordinary final series. Mackay looked better. Big decision to make. Obviously, they're both going to be there, but how they are used becomes a big decision for them, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, oh, it does. But I think we saw signs, and I think we'd spoken about that when Mackay comes back, just play up higher. He was taking Andrews up the ground. He was marking up on the wing, which was the way they needed to play. So that takes Andrews away from Kurnow. Now, Gardner did a really good job on Kurnow with support of Leicester and that, but it, I think they achieved that. They achieved uh, negating Andrews's influence and Mackay taking uh being an outlet for him from defence and marketable ball, and using Jack Wilson getting up the ground, so not exposing himself as much to be the goal kicker, so taking that pressure off him. And he kicked a bit better for goal while he was in Brisbane when he only when he played last week. But yeah, I think I think they can work that system better. They just probably need that third play. Like they've got it probably Jack Martin. No, he didn't do a lot in the final, but he showed himself the last half of the year. So if he can stay fit, so there's their three forwards coupled with either a mid that can go through there and two or three smaller forwards with with some speed.
0: Which is what I wanted to ask you about because even last year, I remember this, early last year, they were a better side when Owies and Durden it was then with the small forwards and putting that pre- defensive pressure on. This year it started to turn around and not coincidentally, uh, contributors in that regard were Motwop and Fogarty. Are those guys good enough to play that small forward role, or do they need a bit more quality?
1: Oh, I think they'll need a bit more quality. I think I think they'll need a, a quality one there.
0: So um, they need to trade a, a, a small forward in, do you think?
1: Or, or, unless they think they can develop one of them, yeah. Or the other, the other alternative is one or two of them just be manic forward pressure. I think they, to me, they always looks okay, and he's a good kick for goal, but he's field-kicking is ordinary. He just turned the ball over. Uh, mm. Foggy doesn't do enough on the ball. Motlock looks the more dangerous of the player, so whether he's the one that can uh, can develop. He, he kicks some goals, and he's still only young, so he's one that may be able to develop to be their main goal-kicking uh, small forward, and maybe the others uh, you can say, well, your, your whole job... It really, is to put forward pressure. You you've got to keep the ball in. Now you you can goals from that. Well, that's fantastic. But that's it. that's your role, which is what Richmond were able to do, wasn't it? Like you look at
0: and there was another one. I t- oh, was well, probably Rioli, who ended up being a star. But you know, Castagna and Butler were two players you would have looked at and thought they're not going to be pivotal parts of a Richmond resurgence. But they were because they had very specific roles, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think. It looks to me from the outside without you know, actually digging deep that the three of them play the same role, uh, front and square, try, try and get a goal, maybe put some pressure on. Um, so it's doing everything, and they're probably not quite good enough to do any of that well. And Motlop to me, seems the one with the biggest upside. So maybe he's the one that he, 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 he can have a big summer, put a bit of weight on, maintain his speed, but get a bit more – confidence and a bit more development in him, he could be one that could be a dangerous move forward.
0: Yeah, so some interesting list stuff and strategy stuff for Aussie and the Blues to ponder. But I'd still maintain, big picture, um, if you could see where they were halfway through the season, you would absolutely, every day of the week, take where they finished. And look, even to have made finals and, and won finals and got one win away from a grand final berth, um, things looking a lot rosier now for the blues than uh well three months ago and twelve months ago certainly.
1: Yeah for sure. So no they'll 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 make the decision. I think their biggest and just mentioned the biggest um is gonna be the salary cap. Uh, it's about how they'll get some players in, whether it's just the draft and just develop the you know, from within. But at some stage they're going to have to uh, get some better players in To take them to that Whether that's next year or the year after But uh, certainly a terrific season for them Showed the blueprint they just have to tweak some things along the way But um, yeah, it was a very good season
0: Alright, well that is uh, Third and fourth reviewed uh, There is one game Of this season to go It's the biggest of the lot Let's preview it On Footyology Previews with Punch p.m. Saturday afternoon, the MCG Collingwood-Brisbane for the 2023 AFL Premiership. The Pies just got over the line in the preliminary final by one point against the Giants. Brisbane beat Carlton by 16 points in the preliminary final. Head-to-head, they've met twice this year. Brisbane won both, 33 points at the Gabba in round four, again by 24 points at Marvel Stadium in round 23. Brisbane have won the last six meetings Between those two sides, Collingwood's last win was in 2019. The venue, Collingwood, have won 26 of 32 games at the MCG since the start of last year. Brisbane, as we all know by now, their record there is shocking. They have lost 14 of the last 15 clashes and are 0-2 this year. Losses against Hawthorne and then that unlosable game against Melbourne when they went by 24 points with just seven minutes to go. Now, Rocket, uh, personnel really important to this clash and uh, let's we'll, we'll talk about this. So Collingwood, Taylor Adams, uh, very sadly been ruled out for the Pies with a hamstring issue. And the other one, of course, a casualty from the preliminary final, Dan McStay, who is out with a knee. Brisbane, uh, haven't got as many personnel issues, but they have got one, and that is key defender Jack Payne who's had an ankle injury, Um, he remains touch and go for the grand final, was replaced by Darcy Gardner, uh, who did a pretty good job in the preliminary final. Lincoln McCarthy has had a calf strapped up, but he's in no doubt. So Jack Payne, the issue for the Lions, and Collingwood needing to find a replacement for Dan McStay and no Taylor Adams. So uh, Brisbane's certainly in a better place personnel-wise. Rocket, how do you see that?
1: Um, I certainly wouldn't play Jack Payne unless he was 100% fit. Right. Uh, as you said, Garter did really well. Collingwood haven't got two, I suppose the Ruckman, if they go there, is the, is the tall, which uh, I think Andrews, but they're, they're not a tall forward line. My check. Um, if they play Frampton, if he comes in and he goes with well, a Jeremy Howe, they're not super tall except for the Ruckman, which Andrews can take, which would suit Andrews because he can just drop off them and support. I reckon that Andrews is the one that will. Uh, take those bigger players and could be a real threat for him. So I don't think they need to play Payne. Garda did a really good job last week. He can play above his height. Leicester can as well. So I think they're okay with that thing. The question will be who does replace McStay? What, what is their MO there? What's what's going to be their theory? Um, Frampton has proven he's not really a forward. Um, can he go forward and play on Andrews? I think the tactics of this is going to be, um, Andrews is the one that mentioned to be stopped, Darcy Moore at the other end. So it's gonna be interesting. I don't think they'll tag midfielders. Neil could have a gun, because he, he does really well without a tag on him. Collingwood really don't tag in the midfield, but the point is about the forward line for Collingwood and the back line for Brisbane here for me. Uh, I, would, I would play Jeremy Howe forward. Um, and get him onto Andrews as best I could. And that allows probably Noble to play. So Noble, when you've got Hoskin, Hes played down back. You've got off on the bench as well. So you've got a, a bit of coverage as a defender. Um, they've got the two big tall blokes, Hipwood and Danaher, but Murphy and Moore should be you now playing on them. The rest are some McCarthy, Cameron, Bailey, Rayner, who are dynamic players, but I think Quayner and these are the guys with the upper hand on those. So,
0: okay, if you're Collingwood, you don't go like for like with the replacement for McStay. You back what you've got there and you probably go with a – well, more run than,
1: than height. Yeah, or the other – yeah, I would. But the other one, too, Howe could play forward and Frampton can come back in as the tall. So Frampton, can,
0: could, Frampton could
1: come alive. Yeah, he can come alive again in 1976. <laughs> um, but but he – so it's either him or uh, Noble, depends on what run – I wouldn't play Frampton as a forward. I, I think he's proved, uh, and even though I can't remember who he tried to negate. it might have been the Melbourne game. It didn't do that well on Lever or um, May. So I, I I don't think he's got forward craft and the forward mentality, even as a defensive forward. So it's how for me. Then if Frampton plays as that tallish defender, can play on Danaher or Hip would allow him more. Maybe that's the way I'm talking myself into it now. Maybe then, then more is released to be able to support everybody and play that drop-off player. And him and Andrews both play really well. All right. Well, look, we'll, we'll talk about
0: specific parts of the ground in more detail now, although we just did it a bit then. But and, just before we get to that, those two previous meetings uh, this season, so the Lions won by 33 points in round four, um, Cameron kicked six Rainey kicked four that day put and Danner had two each and in the second game of course the Pies were without Moore and Dacos and I think um, Murphy as well and that game Cameron kicked four put and Danner had three each are those two results relevant at all to this one do you think
1: or not? Not really, no mm. I think probably more for Collingwood they can learn something off those forwards, uh, you know, for Brisbane, they've done a lot of homework on them. But who their match-ups will be, who how they'll go about, it, what they need for coverage. As I said, you've probably got Markov and Hoskin Elliott starting on the bench. So Markov gives you an option as a running defender. But I man, Hoskin Elliott can play wing, can play forward. You know, he if he's in your bottom four players, it's a pretty handy bottom four player to have in your in your in your team. You uh, he can play both ends. I was
0: going to say, look, just in our discussion about how they replace McStade, one thing that's becoming apparent, Collingwood has reasonable flexibility with the sorts of roles their guys can play, don't
1: they? Oh, they do. And now I was trying to, and we haven't got to the midfield yet, but you can't fit them all with the midfield. So one of Chris Dacos Pennery has got to play an halfback flank. Yeah, um, Mitchell's got to start on the bench. So you know, if Dacos plays half-back, then it's crisp to go in Penderbury um, in the center square. So if Mitchell to come on and Dacos is as well, so they've got, they've got a lot of flexibility, even though they seem on the surface, they play a pretty settled lineup, I think they do swing them around a bit and they, they generally change positions at stoppages, which most people don't pick up. They're just sort of Dacos will come on half-back and go in and then Penderbury just drop back and that's at a stoppage, like it's not a move within the game while well, the game's flowing. So um, so they've got those little idiosyncrasies or tricks that they can play, but they have got some uh, some courage down back. And those medium players, Markov and Oscar Neillard, can play on the. They're taller than Rainer and McCarthy, who are both good in the air. So rather than Noble, maybe, and I'm talking to myself that Franklin gives you that, okay, can run with would say, mm-hmm. uh, up the ground. And that allows Murphy to take Danaher and then Moore can drop off. So. And then Hoskins elect Markoff for that taller player can play against smaller players who who are good in the air, as in McCarthy and Raymond. So the interesting one will be who who plays on Cameron. That'll be the that'll be the thing. Maybe Maidat gets that one as well.
0: All right. Well, let's let's look at that part of the ground specifically now. So Brisbane's forward line versus Collingwood's defence. How how do you see that playing out?
1: Yeah, I think they'll still play the system Collingwood defence. They'll still rely on pressure between the arcs. Um, they'll want more to drop off as much as he can to be. If there is a loose man, if one of those six forwards of Brisbane wishes up too high, they'll drop off. I reckon Bailey's the only one that really does, maybe run at times, but I think they'll probably play six forwards to keep the Collingwood defence um, accountable. Collingwood, as they showed uh, in their first one against uh, Melbourne, they want to get numbers back. Leighton's defended with numbers back and try and get you on the counter-attack. That's why I'm thinking style. Did Brisbane go a bit slow with the ball so that it doesn't allow Collingwood to counter-attack, especially early in the game? But for me, Collingwood's defense is, where do you play Dacos? Where do you start him? Do you start him in the middle, then who takes his spot? Is it Crisp or is it Penderbury? Or does Dacos start in the in the middle? Does he start down back? I'd, I'd start him down back. I'd start him well, down well, back.
0: I, I would have thought his, uh, I could be wrong, it's just an observation, but I would have thought his more damaging football this year has probably come off halfback rather than purely in the middle.
1: Uh, yeah, I think they threw him into the middle at early on though and he did really well. Like his his ability to evade tackles and make decisions under real pressure gives you a real plus in between the arcs as a midfielder. So, but he, he has missed a lot of footy. You know he played well last week and he's going to be okay. But I'd let the game settle and get him at half back. And if there is hard to get it out, he's one player that can help him get him out of the back half. And then they can introduce him into the midfield whenever they like midway through the second quarter. What, what about – I mean, Brisbane
0: are so potent attacking in an attacking sense. They're second for points scored. You've got Danaher, Hipwood, Cameron, Raynard, Then you've got Bailey. You've got midfielders to kick, kick goals. Collingwood are great, as you say, uh, launching attacks off half-back. But is the worry there that they'll be so caught up purely defending these Brisbane guys and stopping them kicking goals that they won't generate enough to rebound themselves?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly could be. Certainly could be a question. And I think you now the rebound is going to be really vital for both teams about be able to. That's really going to be you now. It's going to be on turnovers. It's going to be errors. Stoppages, I think, in finals is a bigger score source because it's a more contested game. It's yeah, seems it just want to shut down players, uh, concentrating more. They'll give that a little bit extra that maybe at times they don't in a, in a home and away game. So it's going to be battle or contest, like the GWS game last week, you know, with Collingwood. It was a really tight, tough game, hard to score. Uh, but it was it was it was pulsating footy. It was back and forth the whole time. So then we're going to see more of that. For me, it'll be the changes. I don't think any team will be surprised by any matchup changes. It maybe it's the style of play and some some little tactics within the game at times, uh, like whether on Moore, whether on Andrews, whether they the way they move the ball.
0: All right, well, let's switch to the other end of the ground now talk about the Collingwood forward setup up as opposed to Brisbane's defence. Uh, who's got the edge in this part of the ground, do you think?
1: You look at names on paper, Collingwood haven't got any real stars. No. They haven't. And I know they are ninth or well, seventh or eighth for schoolers during the year. Um, but I think it's also uh, Brisbane's Achilles' heel at the same they're, time. Actually, they're fourth for points scored, the post, so they And they do that on counter-attack. Yeah. And they leave it open for space and they're prepared to hit targets and they'll, especially on turn, once they've turned over, they just go. Um, McCreary's got speed, Hill's got speed, which is where, Elliott's a really good player, hasn't, didn't play that well last week. check's just one of those players, might kick might have two touches to three quarters time, and all of a sudden bob up with two goals in the last quarter. He's just one of those guys that just continually contests, continually presents, not super talented, but if you're underestimating, it you know, he can be a game-breaker. So, But he, well, he's well, always competing. Well, remember the
0: 2018 grand final. had a really quiet one, but he kicked a goal in the first 30 seconds of the start of the last quarter, which gave the pies the momentum. And then Degowie kicked one, and... Yeah, so yeah. you're right, he can be unsighted and then he bobs up and kicks two or three. Yeah, in a yeah. Short-
1: yeah. and he's one of those players that coaches and certainly supporters like, because you know that he's he's contesting all the time and, he's, and he can be quite aggressive. So he's a good foil. Um, you now, Lipinski's sort of dropped off the second half of the season, I reckon. So he was probably, if Adams had been right, he might be one that missed, um, I would have thought. Uh, so whether they throw Hoskin Elliott in, they've got the two tools, um, that, that again, they'll have to score on on the way they move the ball, not so much the talent inside the 15. So if they are slow with their ball grip, and, and obviously they don't want to be, it allows Brisbane some numbers to get back. Brisbane will hold their hold their defence, especially Andrew. If they get a high at the ground, which the, which Colin would want to do, so McCreary is and Heal and they've got space and they they're afterburners. And now you have Andrew's just sitting back. So it'll be it'll be a game of cat and mouse for me for style of play.
0: What about Coleman? Because he he was Brisbane's, I thought, most important player last week. Did Collingwood, so how did Collingwood look to negate his influence?
1: Um, Yeah, he's been a really good player. He, he's got similarities. He's left footer, but near to they're both good in the air and they're both tough players and they both use the ball with. Um, So I, I would think Coleman will go to a player as such. Uh, it would be interesting to see which one. I I, I would think he, he maybe pick up Lipinski so he can drop off as well. So he's the non-dangerous one. It'd be interesting. I mean, McKenna will uh, probably take Hill with speed, um, you know, to counter at that. But make sure you're goal-sided. Make sure you don't, he doesn't get past you. Elliott will be the one who uh, is the most dangerous. So whether Leicester takes him, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see Gardner. would probably take my check I think, as that like-for-like like in, in body size. Um, but who play plays the other forward, um, I'm thinking Howe as the tagger, but... Yeah, I, I reckon they'll miss they'll miss McStay. Yeah, it gives them a good balance, um, so that that could upset their balance there. So interesting which way they go.
0: All right, well let's talk about the midfield, and uh, we'll start with the ruck uh, because it's, it's fair to say the rucks of both sides fairly sort of low profile. But big Oscar McInerney, I thought you know played some important or had an important part to play last week. Cameron uh, Cox gets all the um, the attention, I guess, to Collingwood, but Cameron um, sort of just plods along and gets the job done. There. Are there, is the ruck going to be important or not?
1: Um, yes, it is. It is, but I think they can negate each other. I think you're right. is a bigger man, but uh, as in body size, uh, Cox has got the height. Um, Cameron, as I said, started the season off really well, but end up being now probably a support foil in many ways. Um, I think a ruck, unless you've got a dominant one like um, Gorn, uh, Marshall's become that sort of player. You just don't want a ruck that's not going to compete and give you nothing because you can get smashed in that. And I think both sides have got players who are going to compete. So there could be a draw in there and such. I don't think both teams actually got soft hands where their rucks should uh, hit hit just into hit the right spot. What McInerney does... He can grab it. And he can handball at 30 meters. Uh he, he's a forward momentum ruck. He can does compete. He can go forward and kick a goal as well. So um he has support from uh you know from Danaher a little bit. That's where Danaher gets dangerous when he's a midfield ruckman. Um he's probably not great as the as the tap ruckman, but his ability to, to get around the ground, he's not super quick, but he's he's got smarts. And he's a better midfield kick than he is a shot even though his goal kicking has improved and and he does for goals. He can kick a long ball and he he gets on that left foot and plays on quickly. So um, if he had to pick anyone, I think maybe slightly Brisbane.
0: Well, let's talk about ground level midfielders now. And this wasn't something I was really thinking of as a potential big edge for one side, but statistically... Uh, Brisbane really seems to have the edge here and a couple of interesting stats. So Brisbane rank four for contested possession on the differentials. They're number one for clearances. Collingwood uh, equivalent rankings, ninth for contested ball and ninth for clearances. In fact, Collingwood don't rank top six in any midfield statistical category. Brisbane do in three of them. Um, Plus, If you look at the names that roll through the midfield, I look at it and I think, well, Brisbane's got superior talent here. And that's why the loss of Adams or continued absence of Adams to Collingwood, I think, could be fairly damaging.
1: Oh, for sure. And on those stats, that's why I gave Melbourne a real big chance. I probably should have beaten Collingwood that first final was the contested ball, but... Collingwood, if you remember the game, they smashed them in the first quarter. So they'd obviously made a focus of it. They know they are ninth during the year. We're not great at it. And we need to I think Adams in that game was the one who really set them, set them up where you only had six or seven in the first quarter himself. So you know, you, you, you can be not great at a certain stat, but make a focus of it for that particular week so you can jump up. But well, Benberry's got the ability to win. And 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 D'Gowie have win contested ball. Um Crisp, I thought, was really good last week. He was quite vital for them and the end. So they've got the, the talent. To Mitchell is that's his bread and butter. But I think consistently, uh Neil, Dunkley's been really good. Does Dunkley get a job this week? I reckon he does. He might go to go to DeGoey. Um and McCluggage has really stood up as well. Neil, Neil's better games this year have been when he hasn't been tagged. I can't see Collingwood tagging him unless Pendlery goes to him. Penderbury has gone to as a run-with role, let's call it a run-with roll rather than tag. So maybe that's uh, one that McRae will utilise, knowing that if Neil can get seven or eight clearances himself, they generally win mm-hmm. um, or above that. So uh, he's the one that's got to be stocked in, in that area. All right, decision
0: time. Now, I'm going to give an overall reason here and then a tip. I'll, I'll put my you-know-what's on the line first. So all this discussion... Suggest to me, logically, I probably should be tipping Brisbane. Uh. But I'm not. And I'll tell you why I'm not. The MCG thing really worries me. Uh, Brisbane, I think, probably have the superior talent. And they've definitely got the superior form at the moment. But even when they beat Carlton last week, their propensity to torch chances and just to be still a little bit flaky really worries me. Now, they should have shut the door on Carlton last week. That should have been eight. Oh, that, that, that,
1: that's right. Cameron missed two as ones. McCluggage missed an easy one. Then he hit the post again. They, they Yeah, they missed shots that they shouldn't get for a team to playing in the grand final.
0: Cannot do that in a grand final. And so, bottom line for me, and, and look, Collingwood, uh, Brisbane lost 14 out of 15 the MCG. I think that is a factor. I think it plays on, the, on your mind. Collingwood loves the MCG, play well there. The support thing's not as important, obviously, being a grand final crowd. So Collingwood won't have, ironically, as many supporters as they'd have in other games. But I still think the venue is a bit of a factor. But ultimately, I just come down to dependability, playing of the percentages. And I think Collingwood's done that so well for two years now. So, you know, push comes to shove. Who do you who who you know if your life depends on it? Who are you more yeah. confident is going yeah, to bring trust out it. bring yeah. out their best on the day? For me, that's Collingwood. So on am the i that- on the,
1: on the same. Oh, I I I think a lot of as we we're talking through the the preview, it was going Gee, Brisbane should win this. <laughs> they can win in a lot of areas, but I I still the MCG factor, but that trust factor that more about what collingwood can do in tight situations they defended really well when they had to against melbourne you know that final and they probably shouldn't have won it in the end but they've done that consistently and they adapt to situations really well they can defend well but they can and like in most games they do it in patches but they can score quickly they did it at the start of the game against the giants and those two mistakes in that third quarter there's four of their nine goals in the matter of mantle of seven or eight minutes Um, and that's what they can do and they stay in the moment and my check's the biggest example of that they they just think their chances will come um and i think because of that and their ability to score quickly even though it's a dangerous forward line of uh, lines i think eyes for me as well there
0: you go i wasn't expecting that i thought uh, you've given some fantastic reasons why brisbane should win i thought i'm gonna i'm gonna go the the feels tip, you're going to go the logic process tip, but you've done what I've done <laughs> in the yeah.
1: too. Yeah, I, I think I've gone for, like you have thought as well, the stuff you can't measure. Uh, it's the immeasurables, and uh, and we're all stats orientated in this modern day, but uh, it's the ones that you can't measure, and they've done it consistently, and you know that's going to happen again with them, that they'll be there, they'll hang in there, and uh, they'll turn mistakes into into goals and uh, at the right time.
0: All right, what's your margin? Uh I think they'll win by fifteen points. Okay, I'm going for Collingwood by two points. Oh
1: wow!
0: <laughs> uh so no biting. So, incidentally, just a, a statistic, not a curio, but since 1958, when Collingwood famously beat Melbourne, stopped the winning four flags in a row, they've played in 16 grand finals and won two of them. They've drawn two and they've lost 12. And even more recently, um, some of those grand final efforts, you know, uh, what well, was it, five points against the Pies, one point in 66, four points in 64. They're, they're due to win a close one, I figure. So this this is it. Collingwood wide two points for me. So we're both going for the Pies to win the 2023 grand final. There you go. There is our preview of the grand final. You won't hear a more comprehensive uh preview of the grand final and that. Good work, Rocket. The credit to you. I can see why you're one of the coaches of the modern era. Um I hope you've enjoyed the show, everyone. And the good news or the bad news uh is we're gonna be back to wrap it all up with a special post grand final uh episode of the Footyology podcast. We're gonna record that on Monday. So look out for that one early next week, uh, both for the victors and the losers. You want to know why your side didn't get up? You'll hear it here.
1: Good work, Rocket. And, thanks, uh, thanks Rowan. Have a great weekend. And to everybody out there, I hope your side uh, wins or the team that you don't like loses. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Unusually negative from you, Rocket. That's my job. Uh, All right, Uh, good luck, everyone. May the best team win. And uh, as I said, we'll speak to you after the grand final early next week.